this morning as we talk about the church and, and the, uh, the church leadership and who we are, I want to start off with who is the church? Now, you might want to say, well, wait a minute. Who is the church? Don't you want to say now what is the church? And the church is a who, not a what. Why? Because uh, the church is not a building, but it's the people uh, everywhere who call on the name of Christ. That is what the church is. Um, can you give this to Good morning. Rocking the jean jacket again this morning. You're looking great. Um, so the church, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It's actually a compound word. Ek is mean out, uh, and, and it's, it's, it uses the word called out. Uh, the church, isn't that interesting? That's the name of it. It's called out. Who's the church? We're the ones called out. What are we called out of? We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're called out of our, our position of, by nature, children of wrath and beloved children of God. So that is who we are. Um, the church are those who are called out. This is uh, 1 Peter 2.9. It's going to pick up on some language that God's word gives us uh, to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And he's going to say this about all of God's people. He says, but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hit, hit pause. Hey, that's a pretty good description of the church, isn't it? I mean, we don't feel that way. We don't always act that way. Um, but this is the way God sees us. A chosen people, right? a holy nation, a people belonging to God, uh, a royal priesthood. Uh, what, what great news. So when it comes to who we are as a church, we are God's family. First um, John 3, 1, is going to say, Behold, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. So the church is God's family. How important is family to you? Um, it should have the primary relational spot here on earth. And Joni, how important is your family to you? Pretty darn important, right? And I keep trying to get in there. I uh, hope I'm close. So, um, we, are the, we are a family of God, but we're, we're, we're something uh, beyond that as well. And I, and I love this, this image uh, that we are the primary vehicle God has chosen to use to advance his kingdom. Um, Ephesians 3.10 says this, that through the church, God is going to reveal his manifold witness. It's through us that we are, thank you, Billy Boy, that we are uh, the primary uh, vehicle that God is using to advance his kingdom. Um, does he know that Julie's back there? He knows, right? So, so he's, he's, he's probably wants to sit and listen. Oh, he's getting a muffin. So... Uh, Smart. Um, so we are, uh, we are, the church is to be a colony of heaven on earth. Now, now hit pause. Think about that. Think that we are, uh, now let me not get weird on you. By the way, um, I've noticed that Fox and, and other news stations is carrying more UFO sightings and there's a report coming out and you know, what are these things, you know, and, and uh, you think of now we have something out on Mars, we're getting pictures from Mars, so Think of being a colony of, of, of humans someplace uh, remote. Well, we are the colony of heaven on earth. We are the place where God wants us. We are the place where God, in a unique way, and earth meet. Why? Because we're the place where his spirit dwells. We are the place that says that Jesus is the Lord and the King. We are, we are to live under the headship of Christ our King. So we're to be a colony of heaven on earth. Now, we're not fully there yet. But we should have a smell of Jesus. So we should have the aroma of Christ. We should have a light that the world doesn't have. We should be peculiar people. 
to the rest of the world. And that is because we are, uh, our citizenship's in heaven. Um, we, are, we are not uh, uh, here. This is not our, our ultimate home. Um, and so we are to be a colony of heaven on earth. What would it be like if the church really lived this out? Wouldn't that be awesome? We're to be a city on a hill. Uh, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. One of the greatest joys of going to Israel, uh, and, and there's a couple different spots in Israel. I think north, uh, Jerusalem, and south. But when we're up the northern side, and you're up uh, on the Sea of Galilee, oh, it is so amazing to be on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, to me, feels much more like, man, Jesus walked along these these roads, and, and he's been here, and I've been in a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and you look around and see the hills and say, this is what he saw, and how cool. And I've been there at night, and at nighttime, when you're on the sea, you can look up and see the hills, and those who have that are together have a little city. There's lights on them, you know, and it can't be hidden. And I don't know what it looked like in Jesus' day, but I know they still had torches and lights and stuff like that. So a city on a hill can't be hidden. We are to be that city on a hill. Um, and here's a really interesting thing for me. When I think about the church, we are to play offense, not just defense. Now, I want to, I want to give you an illustration. Uh, I remember uh, being with your dad. Um, uh, Julie's dad uh, had some of the coolest jobs ever. When I first was getting to know him, he was an Orange County dope guy. Uh, what I mean by that, he was an uh, undercover dope cop and had like a drove, drove like a Camaro and drew, grew his hair long and, and did those kind of things. And eventually he would emerge to be a SWAT commander. And uh, as a SWAT commander, I had the privilege of going on a few stings and watch uh, uh, the fine men and women uh, in Orange County uh, do their thing. Uh, but I also, at that time, learned something about um, uh, a uh, 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 housewarming. So let me let me hit pause and say, you know, when in, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, "Who do you say I am?" or "Who's the world say I am?" and Peter knocks it out of the park. It's, it was Peter at his finest, and he says about Jesus. Hey, there's some confusion. Some say you're Moses, Elijah, one of the prophets. Uh, but uh, or, uh, who do you say I am? Uh, Jeremiah was actually it. But he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, that's right, Peter. This is incredible. You did not get this from men. This came from God. And on this confession that I am the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And he says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You've probably heard it, right? So I always pictured most of my life growing up, that we are the church and, and we have this fortress around us, which we do, like the Holy Spirit, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The bad people out there, the good people in here, and we're going to be safe in here, right? But it was going on one of those search warrants where I realized that they had a battering ram, and uh, the battering ram was there when they uh, knock on the door, and they don't really knock on the door. It's like Orange County, uh, you know, search warrant. They are so they, they are blowing the, the door off its hinges. They are smashing the door. So the most they, they gotta get it as fast as they can get it. And so this this battering ram makes sure that no matter what door they have will be blown off. And so when we think about the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, there's an offensive play to this. We are to go and be salt and light. We are to be that city on a hill. And we are to go and the gates of hell will not stand to the gospel. We we you need to play offense. Um, I think the church often just plays defense. Uh, we are the bride of Christ telling his love story. This is his love story. And uh, uh, how, how, what a privilege that is. So who is the church? It's, it's, it's the people. 
those who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, think about us uh, being the primary vehicle that God has chosen to use on this earth to advance his kingdom. Who's the head of the church? Well, Christ Jesus is the head of our church, the head of the true church. Um, and by the way, the true church, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but um, theologians do a good job distinguishing between a what's called the invisible church and the visible church. And the invisible church, I don't want to lose you, are all of God's people from all time that are his. From the Old Testament, New Testament, that's the true church. It's all of God's redeemed in Christ Jesus people. Um, the visible church is what we see. Okay, and the visible church are God's people. It probably has some mixture in here of people that don't really know Jesus as Lord and Savior. They may look and smell like Christians a little bit, but they're not regenerate. And so, um, but the, the true church is everyone who believes. It's not just King's Chapel. I mean, there's, uh, and it's not just a particular denomination. It's those who are truly his. And so, it's tough when denominations, uh, cults really, say we're it. We, you know, we are the ones who have it. We are the ones who have this truth. If you really want to be in, you have to be a part of our denomination. And so, um, always run like crazy when that's the when 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 that's the case. I mean, um, you know, God's family includes Baptists and Methodists and and Episcopalians and Catholics. I mean, those who are true born again believers are a part of the church. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think for those of you who grew up in a tradition, I know some of you have, of the Roman Catholic Church, they want to really make sure that, hey, we are we are the church. We're the true church. If you are a Greek Orthodox, they'll say, no, no, we are the true church. We are the ones who are the true church. And who is the true church? Well, the true church are those who are regenerate in Christ Jesus, no matter what denomination that comes out to, okay? so um, But Christ Jesus is clearly the head of the church. So who are the church leaders? Well, according to Scripture, uh, we have pastor uh, we have elders, we have deacons or deaconesses, and then we have what I'm calling uh, the King's Chapel Women's Ministry Council. Now, we see in Scripture pastors, and we got people like Paul. Uh, we see uh, he's even beyond a pastor. He's an apostle, but I'll, I'll get more to that in a minute. We see the office of elder and deacons clearly in the New Testament. And this is not something that you'll see in Scripture. This is something that we are... Uh, seeing of our necessity as we remember last week's teaching which is pretty good Pastor Jakes thank you very much felt good about it um, about you know how we are equal footing before God necessary for the plan of God with distinct roles for God and King's Chapel really wants to make sure that we are in a place where we have the biblical offices as well as having um, the, the uh, uh, godly women uh, help provide oversight uh, help provide us uh, I should say some some insight uh, and shepherding. So, so what is the goal of church uh, leadership? Well, it's always for God's glory. I mean, we are here for Him, um, and it's for His renown. That's why He raises up the leadership. It's for the purity of the church. He loves His bride. He wants His bride to be beautiful and pure. He raises up leaders to to keep her pure. And sadly, we know that oftentimes the leaders are the ones who lead them into the church sometimes into debauchery and impurity and our heart breaks. Uh, but here's a, p a point that I think is so important. Paul is going to tell us in Ephesians 4 that God has raised up different offices or roles of, of apostles and teachers and preachers. Uh, he's going to say these leaderships, watch this, these leaders are all here 
for the equipping of the laity. The goal of a leader is the glory of God and the health of the church, equipping the people to serve Christ. All of Christians have gifts. All of Christians should use their gifts for God's glory. Leaders should help equip the laity to serve the church. So listen to this in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why did he give them? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who's doing the work of ministry? All of God's people, right? So isn't that interesting for the building up of the body of Christ? Now, let me give you a little quick uh, historical examination of church government. Um, specifically, there are three types of church government uh, that seem to be functioning today. There's what we'll call the Episcopal or the rule uh, by a, a bishop. This is a hierarchy form. Power flows down. This is the Roman Catholic Church. You have a pope, you have cardinals, you have bishops, you have a very, the church power is very much of a hierarchy structure. This is also true of Episcopalian churches. Um, it's much more like a monarchy in civil government. Then you'll have congregation church, congregational churches, and those are ruled by the, con uh, the congregation. There's real no flow of authority. Uh, power resides in all the members. Uh, this is oftentimes a Baptist or, or community churches. Um, I believe the Brethren churches must, might be the greatest uh, uh, illustration of it. The Brethren churches don't even have pastors. I mean, everybody's like on one playing field. You know, you don't want to have anybody necessarily <laughs> elevated, I believe, over anybody else. So this is kind of like a pure democracy. Everybody has the same voice, the same vote, and there's not really a, a leadership hierarchy. And then you have a representative, which you're ruled by elders, uh, elected by the people. The power resides in them, governed by God's word. This is often found in Presbyterian or Reformed churches. This is like a republic. This is more like our country, right? Uh, yes, of course, we have a democracy. Yes, we have our own individual powers, but really the, we elect those who represent us to govern us. And this is where we find King's Chapel. We believe that this is a biblical role that, that God has, is, has given to us where we're not going to be a congregational church. Uh, we're not, you know, not everybody's going to have like, hey, we're going to, who, what, what color carpet do we have this week? Uh, I think gray. I think, you know, blue. You know, everybody has a vote. We're going to have godly leadership that is going to represent us, and we're going to have that plurality of leadership um, in, in our offices. So I love it because it doesn't mean that pastor has uh, the exclusive authority. Remember, absolute power does corrupt absolutely. So when it comes to King's Chapel officers and leaders, and I, I made this distinction because I believe some are biblically called offices, and, and we, we have one that's more of a, of a created for us necessity um, that's more of a leadership role. Okay, well, the call to the office, it's not an issue of status or power. Um, really, according to God's word, you should be set aside, set apart by God. This is something that, that is uh, reflective of his work. And where does it begin? It begins with a godly aspiration. Uh, I love what 1 Timothy 3.1 will say, those who desire to be an elder, especially this, this role, it's a noble calling. It's noble. You're going to serve the bride of Christ. You're going to give your life to help serve others. It's not just a badge of honor. This is a noble calling that if you do it well, you'll realize it's serving. It's, 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 uh, um, it's a lot of dirty stuff. It's seeing behind the curtain. 
And seeing behind the curtain at church is not always a great view. I'm just telling you right now, um, there's something wonderful. Ignorance can be bliss. Uh, once you realize some of the things back there, you're like, holy cow. Um, well, who should become an officer? Well, it's one who is called by God. We'll see that throughout the book of Acts. It's so beautiful as Paul goes on his journeys and the church is being built. The first thing he's doing is he's installing elders. He's, he, and he looks to those who are called by God. Um, how do we discern God's call? Well, you have that desire and that willingness to serve, uh, that, that noble calling. You should have the necessary spiritual gifts to serve. Um, you should manifest the biblical characters and qualities that, that are given to us. And God's word, God's word lists in Timothy 3 and uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 uh, a list of qualifications for officers. And I'm telling you, it's like, whoa, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty high calling. Um, one that I'll tell you is be above reproach. What does that mean? Be, live your life without handles. Um, so uh, no knowledge of and commitment to the doctrine of the church. You know, what is it that we believe and why? And this will all go back to God's word. And also an outward confirmation by the church that, hey, I got a desire to serve. I, I believe I got the giftings to serve. I'm working on the character, the character qualities to serve. Um, I, I understand uh, where we are theologically, and, and I'm committed to the same thing the church here at King's Chapel is. And the, the church says, hey, we agree. Uh, there's an outward uh, demonstration that, that you are called. So a prospective officer or leader at King's Chapel, we must be, uh, they must be an active member. Uh, they must be qualified according to Scripture. Um, they got to be nominated by the congregation. And so this will happen in the fall, Lord willing. This is all new to us. And so we're going to, this fall, Lord willing, remind you of what these offices are and who should be qualified for them. We will take a time of uh, nomination. They'll be trained by the pastor. Um, and, and again, I'm, <laughs> this is all uh, a bit fluid. Um, I'm looking at the deacon. The deaconess is being trained maybe Sunday night and the elders being trained in the morning before uh, on, on a weekday early in the morning um, but then they need to be elected by the congregation uh, I'm hoping that this will take place in January for our first officers and then they'll be installed they know we'll pray over them and, and uh, uh, they will be installed so um, what are the responsibilities of an officer or leader well it's exemplary role model uh, they should be maintaining a growing personal relationship with the Lord um, they need to be an effective witness uh, in word and deeds. Um, they should be able to walk their talk. You know, you don't want to have an officer in this church who walks out there and the world says, that guy's your elder or she's your deaconess. I mean, that's, that's the role model you have. And so, um, and they, uh, uh, responsibilities is faithful in your involvement in worship and prayer. Uh, we will expect our officer and leaders to be here, um, to be praying for the church. We expect them to be involved in a KC group um, or in, in the discipleship, and we expect them to serve. I mean, those are the qualities that they will have. Uh, also, to give generously support the ministry of the church, at least uh, to tithing um, to the general operating budget. I mean, so remember, um, my whole ministry, I have not known uh, who gives what. Um, I don't, I won't know, I don't wanna know. Uh, I don't wanna know, that's between you and the Lord, but, um, I would want to make sure that our office are, are, are you, are you have skin in the game? You guys can understand that. Are you, 
Are you, if you're going to lead this, you should make sure that you're following God's uh, uh, call on your life and be giving um, to the church. And so, um, and then using your spiritual gifts to build up the church. So let's talk specifically about the office of an elder. And I know I'm just throwing a lot on you, okay? I'm so sorry. You guys, it's fire hose here today again. There's two Greek words that are interchangeably used when it comes to an elder. And we find these words in places like First Tim, or Titus 1 and Acts 20. And the first one is presbyteros. And the presbyteros means but an elder or, or presbyter. Um, presbyteros. Does anybody think of a denomination that came out of presbyteros? Presbyterian, yes. Um, it's more of a reference to age, wisdom, and authority. This has to do with his character and maturity, who he is. Um, scripture says, make sure you don't have an officer, an elder, who's young in his faith. He might be old in his years, but young in his faith. I mean, have, have somebody who has character and maturity that's proven. Um, that's a reference. Well, Episcopos is, is an overseer or a bishop. Anybody think of a denomination that comes from Episcopos? Episcopalian. Um, and that this is a reference to the oversight of the flock. So he is to be an elder, uh, one who is uh, kind of his character. He's to be a, an Episcopos, an overseer, a bishop, um, uh, a shepherd. His work, this is more of what he does. And so that's the two Greek words. The ministries and responsibilities as shepherds and leaders. Well, it's going to be shepherding the flock, teaching the flock, overseeing the flock, uh, which is kind of like shepherding, um, to care for the flock. Um, this is all, all from Scripture. To feed the flock, to pray for the flock. Uh, Robbie, is prayer important? It's the only thing. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to say it's the only thing, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I think we want to feed them. I think we want to uh, discipline them. But, but, but if you do all those in prayer. All right. Should we let them off on that answer? I think that's what we'll, we'll, we'll let, let me just interject. Shaky. <laughs> let me interject one thing. Prayer is, is, is a gift that God gives as in, and it grows as you mature. Yeah. And all it is, it's a conversation yeah. with you and God. Well, you do a great job of that. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Just you. It's just me? It's a little stuffy. It's a little stuffy. Thank you. <laughs> Bill and I are a little stuffy. I don't know if that has anything to do with temperature. <laughs> uh, we are to guide the flock. Uh, think of, uh, that's the good shepherd uh, passage. We are to correct the flock. Now, let me hit pause here. This is not popular, and this is often not done in churches. Uh, churches have given, God in his word and wisdom has given us um, a, uh, a formula, I hate that word, a, 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 a kind of a way of making sure if one of the sheep is wayward and one of the sheep is in sin, how do you biblically try to bring them back? The whole goal, remember, is the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. The whole goal is restoration. So there's a way of saying, hey, if you know if somebody's in, go to them. Uh, and if they don't listen, take two. And if they don't listen, bring them to the elders of the church. And let them wrestle with that. And there's a position of, of discipline where you'll say, hey, you know what? Um, let, let me say this. Jeremy, um, 
if you lose your mind and, and, and you walk away from what God has given you and, and Lily and Aaliyah, I'm, we're going to come and say, hey, bro, we love you. Um, this is your wife. And, uh, you know, um, Scripture's clear. And, you know, what, what are you doing? And so we know that no marriage is perfect. But if we love you, we will love your marriage and we will love your family and we will love what God should do in your life. And we should love you enough to speak truth and love. Now, most people, when, when sin gets in the equation, people are like, who are you? Get out of my face. This is my decision. I mean, I, I've been in the church long enough to know a lot of churches don't do this. Um, it's hard to do. It really is. It's, it's, it needs to be done with grace and mercy, but it should be done. Uh, John Calvin said, what are the true marks of a church? If you want to know, it, how do you know if this is a true church? He said there's three things. There's the preaching of the word. Are they preaching the word? There's the proper handling of the sacraments. Do they, do they understand what the Lord's Supper baptism is all about? And then thirdly, it's church discipline. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I think a lot of people kind of get on the first, first two. Again, no one is thrilled with this, but if we love uh, each other well, we'll be doing this. So then we guard the flock. You know, guard them. And this is, this is uh, um, guard the flock internally and externally. Guard the flock internally of, of heresy and, and, and maybe even members. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, I remember being, I was coming up as an officer. I was coming up as a deacon. And uh, the, some of the diaconate members before us um, got involved in a uh, uh, multi-level marketing thing. And uh, it got kind of crazy. I mean, you know, listen, dude, we don't want to buy Amway. You know, we want to, it wasn't Amway. It was like, you know, your, your, your calling isn't, that and it got to the point where you know there had to be a guarding of the flock who disciplined for him and there's also guarding the flock of hearing uh, what the world thinks about marriage let's say you know we live in a time that's going to tell you that the marriage can be between two people who love each other no matter what no matter now the world can redefine marriage um, the way they want but we can't as Christians we are given this is God's idea follow his rule his word so we help guard you by saying, hey, they may say that and they may bless that, but we can't. And here's why. Let's look at God's word, right? And so that's kind of guarding the flock that way. So that's the elder. Then you have this ministry of deacon or deaconess. Well, deacon is a, really, the, this, the Greek word diakonos means servant. That means servant or minister. Um, we see in the New Testament origin, uh, origin is in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 1 through 7. It's kind of an interesting story. It says that there was a time the church was growing, and there was an argument about who's getting food first. What widows? The, the Jewish widows or the, the Greek uh, Hellenistic widows, you know? And, and, and it, so, so things were getting a little bit dicey, and the apostles, the elders said, hey, listen, we got to teach God's word and govern. We, we, we shouldn't, it sounds weird, we shouldn't stop to, to wait on tables we got to make sure that there's others who are doing this. And so they raised up servants, deacons, um, to come alongside. We see that. So uh, th these are th they provide spiritual ministry to those in need of physical necessities of life. That's a good little saying, hey, it's a spiritual ministry to those who have some physical needs. It's providing assistance to the apostles and the elders, freeing them for the ministry of the word and prayer. Uh, so what are the deacon's responsibilities or the deaconesses to render humble service uh, for the benefit to, of others within the church and uh, out in the community 
you know, the word menial was here, my original definition. I took it out because menial can feel like it's low. And I don't mean menial like it's not important. You know, it's just humble service. It just is, uh, it may feel menial, but it's not. But to remember, so that's that. It's an office of sympathy and service. It's meeting uh, human needs through deeds uh, that scripture has told us to do. Um, humble service, is this low, too low for an officer? Remember the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, he came to seek and to, uh, he came not to be uh, served, but to serve and to give his life for the many. He came not to be served, but he says, I've come to diakonos. I've come to serve. I've come to be this. And so, man, th this, is, uh, this is a reflection of his ministry. Jesus, obviously the greatest teacher, also the greatest servant. Uh, he had the mark of the towel. And I, I read that passage this morning in my reading. You know, that's the story in the upper room that Jesus, uh, right there, he, he, he washes his disciples' feet. Um, you know, that, so there wasn't anything too low for him. Um, we're going to see throughout Scripture, these passages, that it says of Jesus, he had a both powerful <coughs> ministry of word and deed. God bless you. Thank you. Word and deed was what he had. So uh, the office of, of deacon, again, uh, it's carry on a ministry of mercy. Um, the, the evidence of the reality of our faith is by what we do. Um, what we've done for the least of these. It's one of Doug Meyer's favorite passages. I always think of you always talking about Matthew 25. That's really burned something in your heart over the years. I've heard you say, what we do for the least of these, we've done unto Christ. And so, um, natural response of recipients to God's grace and mercy is to give grace and mercy. Uh, I love this story. To those who have been forgiven much and then love much, uh, respond accordingly. Uh, meeting the needs of others within our body and outside the church. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a ministry of mercy. It also takes care of church property. Um, like the Levites of the Old Testament, keeping all things in proper repair. It's things like setting up our signs, our tables, our fellowship hall. It's things that you see happen every week here. Uh, at King's Chapel and beyond. Preparation for worship for our facilities to be a place of beauty, to glorify our God. Um, it's also to see oversee financial matters. I think specifically help collect our offerings and also addressing financial needs to the poor in our community, members in crisis, training and financial management, budgeting and things like that can help. Um, you know, we haven't done it in a while, but we have a KC family fund that we at communion we take and you know, there's a decent amount of money in there that we set aside for those members of the uh, church that are in financial need and this would be something that deacons would be in charge of once we get them in place okay you know have them come and just see you know who, who's who has needs uh, let them distribute them develop membership uh, this is this is big to me develop members into stewards uh, oftentimes when it comes to deacons and deaconesses um, it's those people that you see who are doers. They're great at it. But as a church grows, deacons got to help mobilize all of members to be servants. That's the goal of all of us. The 80-20 rule sometimes in churches becomes 90-10 or 95-5. You know, it's, a, it's amazing how few can do all of the work. And I can even think about right now, I I could tell you right now, who do you see out here who probably feels like a servant deacon? You could probably name some, all right? You know, let's name Buddy Hosier. And, and uh, so Buddy is, uh, is a perfect example. And he was a deacon in my previous church. 
Uh, he's been that servant. He just does it. That's what he wants to do. But if if he, uh, um, uh, you know, he's got to also learn to help equip others to do it. Do you mind if I share what Buddy does for you? So, you know, several months ago, you know, Ruth's got her hands full. Um, she has a husband that's a quadriplegic. And, 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 uh, pardon? Paraplegic. Paraplegic, okay. And, uh, uh, you know, she's got Eric, and uh, that he's got a little bit of energy. Uh, she works full time. She's got Dotsie, her mom, and, you know, she's older in, in, in life. And so her hands are full. You hang around her, you know her hands are full. So uh, she said one day when her husband was in the hospital, I got to mow my lawn. And uh, I called Buddy and said, Buddy, will you go mow her lawn? He's like, not only will I mow it, I found out she lives in my dad's neighborhood or something like that. He's close by. I didn't know it, but I heard recently he still mows your lawn, doesn't he? Um, if I don't get to it before he does, yeah, he'll come by and mow my yard. Yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> that, that's, 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 uh, that's a servant. That's silent what? Servant. <laughs> a silent servant. A silent servant, which is the best. So the bottom line, uh, the deacon is focusing on mercy and service to the body, individual members and the community, and also focusing on member stewardship and uh, mobilization to serve. And then we got this last little piece here. It's King's Chapel Women's Ministry Council. And I'm not sure it's going to stick, but I came up with that this week, KCWC. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm getting some heads going like this. So maybe we got to come up with something better. But... Uh, um, these are godly, mature women who provide assistance to the elders and help them shepherd the church. Um, it also instructs the younger women through teaching and mentoring. Uh, so, um, and, and, and let me just be uh, transparent and say, this is still a work in progress. Um, it's easy to talk about elders and deacons and take them out of the Bible and say, here are their roles. Um, this is something I see of somebody like Priscilla uh, who was a gifted woman who trained Apollos uh, in a better way to, to share the faith. She was gifted. Somebody like um, Phoebe, uh, who is called the diaconess, uh, uh, who was helpful to Paul uh, and the Church of Rome. Um, these are godly women who will uh, um, be able to do what First Timothy says um, of training the younger women in the way they live and the way they um, just the way they live their life. They're, they're our mentors. But these are the women that will come alongside and help us. Because remember what I said in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we're told that male and female are made in God's image. They have equal standing before God. And that God gave both the male and women dominion over all of the earth. And he says for us together to be fruitful and multiply. So that dominion, the reign, reigning and ruling over creation was given to both men and women. We have to have for the health and flourishing of the church to have an understanding of a male and a female perspective. So how do we do that? You've heard me think last week that I believe scripture says that the elder role for reasons of creation and headship and the fall should be a male. But I think if we at King's Chapel don't have this council, we have, uh, we have missed a big opportunity to make sure that we are um, seeing what we need to see, hearing what we need to see, uh, governing and leading uh, the way we need to. So. There'll be more of this to follow. Um, I don't have uh, a lot of kind of, that, that, that's it. So, okay, are there any comments, questions, criticisms, queries?